like that. You What's up, everybody? Welcome that. to it's this like Friday edition back. of the Logan Blackbridge Show. My goodness. We have recorded back-to-back days. We have recorded back-to-back days. Oh, my goodness. I, I feel like I start a show like this every single time because of how inconsistent everything's been recently. And I apologize for that. I don't mean to be super inconsistent, but that's just how things are working out right now. Uh, did I plan not to do a show on Monday? No. No, I did not. We talked about that on Wednesday's show because I was just like, you know what? I'm going to fall asleep while I'm doing a show. I think it's best that I do a show when I'm bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, or whatever old adage you want to use to describe being awake. I feel like being awake is the best recipe for doing a show like this. Because you're by yourself for an hour at... Well, I guess it varies because I guess our last show wasn't technically an hour, but... There's no one else to carry the show. There's no one else. Like, when you have these shows that have two, three, or maybe even four people, or maybe more than four people, one person's tired. Well, guess what? He doesn't need to do a whole lot of talking because the rest of the group can just carry the show. He can kind of just take a backseat, or her can just take a backseat and not really have to worry about anything going on. But when you're by yourself, not even doing any interviews, or not having any guests on, it can get kind of taxing especially when you're tired. It can get taxing when you're wide awake. It can get even more taxing when you're tired because you're talking to yourself pretty much for an hour. Like right now, when I'm recording the show right now, there is not a single person in the world listening to this apart from myself. (laughs) That's the part that makes me start to fall asleep. It's like, well, if I just stopped recording right now, sure, it wouldn't be great the next day, but as of right now, No one's really listening. Well, no one's really listening. No one is listening because they can't because it's not live. So that was a little different when I was doing like a live radio show where I couldn't just go, you know what, I'm going to stop. I think I did that actually. I take that back. I think I did that once or twice when I had a radio show at 94.5 KULT up at UNI. I think I I did that once or twice. I just walked out. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to fall asleep. This ain't worth it. The show's going to suffer. It's live right now. I don't want to have a bad show like this. At least when it's not live, I can stop recording. Like there was a few weeks ago where I recorded almost an entire show. I got to about 40 minute the 40 minute mark and stopped recording and said, you know what? I'm going to come back into this once I drink my entire Mountain Dew because I left the office and came back to record a show. And I got a Mountain Dew from the Casey's that's right pretty much right next to our office. And I had about I started drinking it pretty much as we were doing the show. So then I decided, you know what, we're gonna we're not gonna risk falling asleep while drinking that. So we're just gonna drink all of that, record about two hours from now, and the show. I I will I kid you not, because I'm the only one that heard the other show. It was a thousand times better. So if you didn't like that show, I don't even remember what episode it was. If you didn't like that show, imagine how bad the other one was. If I had to re-record that. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. But speaking of the Logan Blackman show, make sure you're following the Logan Blackman show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show 1. Make sure the and 1 are at the beginning and end of that. Facebook and YouTube are the same thing. Just search Logan Blackman Show. They should pop up. Give the Facebook page a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel and watch a few videos. Give those thumbs up as well. And since you're listening to the show right now, I would greatly appreciate it if you make sure, if you're not already, subscribe to either or, or both of them, the Apple Podcast and Spotify. I don't need you to listen on both of them. Just make sure you're subscribed on both of them and leave a rating on a five stars like we said on Wednesday's show. We have reached 15 ratings on Apple Podcast. 15. 
I mean, it might not sound like a lot to you out there, Mr. and Mrs. Oh, I got a million ratings on Apple Podcasts. Well, 15's a lot for me, okay? So the next threshold we are trying to reach is 20. Once we get to 20, I'm going to start feeling pretty good about myself. So if I start cutting you off because I'm too big now, then don't be upset because that's just natural. I mean, I... I will get a massive head if I get if I get to 20, 20 ratings on Apple Podcasts. Oh, good lord! I'm just gonna have to cut off everybody. I'm gonna be a lone wolf from the year on out once I hit twenty ratings on Apple Podcasts. But I would greatly appreciate it if you did that. And um, speaking of things that are, <laughs> I, I was gonna start off by saying this, but now I'm hearing it in my head before I said it, and I don't know if I want to say it anymore. Speaking of things that are big. <laughs> Okay, no, 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 no. We're going to talk about something that's smaller. And no, it's not in that way either. Uh, the combine started today. We talked about that on Wednesday's show. The testing and measurements and all that stuff started today. And the big measurement that was where, very much anticipated the entire week of the combine, and even before so, it's been talked about for about a month, maybe even over a month, since this quarterback's really been thrusted into the, the spotlight in regards to being one of the top quarterbacks, not only in college football, but in the upcoming NFL draft and not the number one guy in the NFL draft. This is as big of a deal, maybe not as big of a deal, as Kyler Murray's height a few years ago. Because remember at the Combine, the only thing Kyler Murray did at the Combine was get measured. And he got measured at 5'10 and 1'8". And once he got that measurement, everybody was like, okay, yeah. He's now in contention to be the number one overall pick. Even though if he was a, I don't know, eighth of an inch shorter, he'd still be the same player he is right now. His height really didn't matter all that too much, except to some people out there. And that's kind of the similar situation that we got going on with Kenny Pickett's hand size. Like, this dude was at Pittsburgh in the cold weather. I don't care if he played with gloves. It worked pretty well for me. He's Pitt's all-time leading passer. He finished third in the Heisman Trophy race. I'm not really concerned about his hand size. From what the reports are saying, most, if not all, NFL teams are not concerned with Kenny Pickett's hand size. They're not at all. It seems like it's just a measurement for everybody to have something to talk about, which is exactly what we're doing right now. But Kenny Pickett's hands measured it at eight and a half inches. Eight and a half. And I measured my hands today. Mine are about eight and a half. So I have the exact same hand size as the potential first quarterback taken in the 2022 NFL draft. And it's very crazy to think about how, like, that's just a normal hand size, okay? It's just normal hand size. Like, if you walked up to the average person, I guess it's maybe it's not normal, because when I think of normal, well, I'm talking about, like, heights of people. Like, I think normal or an average height six foot, but I believe the average height in the United States is, like, 5'9", or something like that, for a male. So when I say that's average hand size, it might be bigger, because Kenny Pickett's 6'3". I mean, I'm six foot, and I have the same exact hand size as Kenny Pickett. I don't know how much height relates to hand size, or if it has any relation to that at all, but it's it's interesting. And perspective this is from Warren Sharp on Twitter at Sharp Football. So perspective on Kenny Pickett's eight and a half inch hands of the six hundred and sixty-three quarterbacks with measured hand size since nineteen eighty-seven, only nine, nine out of six hundred and sixty-three quarterbacks had smaller than eight and a half inch hands. There is no quarterback in the NFL with eight and a half inch hands. There has been no quarterback to enter the NFL in the last in at least five years with eight and a half inch hands. The last successful, and we're using the successful, because success is judgment-based, I guess, <laughs> but quarterback with eight and a half inches, was Michael Vick. And here's a, a thing from Catch the Blitz on Twitter. QBs with hand sizes under nine inches since 1999 
And Michael Vick is not on this list. I don't know if they forgot it or if Warren Sharp just had the wrong numbers down. But uh, QBs with hand size under 9 inches to 99. Kevin Davidson, Connor Halliday, Kenny Pickett, Tyler Wilson, you know, Arkansas legend who had a full, what was his GPA? What was it? He was like the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Week or something and had like a 2.9 GPA or 3.1. It was like nothing spectacular. (laughs) He was the Scholar Athlete of the Week. Uh, Zach Thomas, Jordan Lynch from uh, Northern Illinois, if you remember those years with Jordan Lynch in Northern Illinois. He ended up, I think, playing safety for a few years in the NFL. Didn't really ever do anything in the NFL. Dustin Vaughn, Brandon Allen, another Arkansas guy. Jake Fromm, who's now in the New York Giants, and Kyler Schumer. Schumer. Is that Kyle Schumer? Kyler, I didn't know. Is that um, Pat Schirmer's kid? Hold on. We got we to gotta do some research here. Because I thought his name was Kyle. Kyle was an NFL quarterback for a little bit, so that's got me thinking here a little bit. What? Why is this not popping up? Is it... <laughs> Because he is a quarterback, so that, this is why it's confusing. Is it Kyler or Kyler? Or is this just two completely different people? I don't know how many people have the last name Shermer. Oh, they're spelled, Shermer spelled different, too, so it's just a completely different name. Ky- that's weird, though. Kyler Shermer and Kyle Schumer. That's weird. Spelled differently. Uh, last names, obviously, first names. But, yeah, does this really matter in the grand scheme of things? No. Will it affect where Kenny Pickett's drafted? <laughs> Doubt it. Like, Matt Miller, he's another NFL draft guy. He said, would it be the smallest hands of any NFL quarterback who doesn't show up on the tape and as affecting his game? Some teams may care, others may not. Ultimately, I don't think it changes much. Still, number one, QB1 or QB2 off the board. Yep, that's exactly where I'm at. It's between him and Malik Willis for the number one quarterback in the draft. And Malik Willis is rising up the boards recently more off things what he's doing off the field than what he has done on the field. He has done really, really good in the interviews. There was a video circulating Twitter today of him helping out a homeless person. So all these high-character things people are looking for is what Malik Willis is doing. And we knew this going into the combine. Malik Willis was a very, a person of very high character. Like we talked about this before, he's very uh, endowed in his faith. And you can hear that while he was at the Senior Bowl this week or a few weeks ago as well. Like, this was a report I got today. Liberty QB has blown away coaches and execs during meetings, believed to have the highest ceiling, which is not something, also something that's not very new. Malik Willis has had the highest ceiling in the draft since before the college football season even started. If you looked at all the quarterbacks that were available, you would say Malik Willis has the highest ceiling. I know if we're going back that far, I know people would say, like, Spencer Rattler would obviously be up there as well, but... Malik Willis can do more stuff with the football than Spencer Rattler can. Like I've I've said this since before college football season started that Malik Willis had the strongest arm at any available quarterback, and at the time Spencer Rattler was available. Spencer Rattler is a very effortless thrower of the football. Malik Willis is as well. Malik Willis is more athletic than Spencer Rattler, and Malik Willis is bigger weight-wise than Spencer Rattler, at least last time I checked. I haven't checked in on Spencer Rattler in a while, to be honest, so I don't really remember. But those are the big, like, Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, I'm very intrigued to see where teams go in regards to the quarterback situation. Because Kenny Pickett has played five years at Pitt. We pretty much know that out of all the quarterbacks available, you might throw Desmond Ritter in there too because he played four years at Cincinnati, that 
Pickett's the most ready to play. Out of all the quarterbacks that are available, and I'm including like the seven quarterbacks that I think will get drafted. Now, there's some odd ones that will get it drafted later, later in the draft, but I think there's seven that I can guarantee will get drafted. And of course, for those of you who are unaware of what I'm talking about, I think that's Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, and Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky. Those are the seven quarterbacks I think will get drafted this year. I'm very confident. I'm about 97% sure that those seven quarterbacks will get drafted. But Malik Willis, where Ritter and someone like Pickett thrive, and we're going, oh, we're going to see these guys play right away. I saw, I heard something today while I was watching the combine that said some scouts and coaches believe Malik Willis is two years away, which I don't think that's far off. Like they were saying the exact same thing about Josh Allen and about Trey Lance as well. And it, from what it sounds like, Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty much as good as gone. So it is the Trey Lance experience now in San Francisco, which I'm ready for. I am ready for. And when I talk about Malik Willis, and we compared him to Josh Allen, and people compared Trey Lance to Josh Allen last year, I think we're talking about uh, skill. Not but if you just looked at, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. I think if we're talking about comparing these two to Josh Allen, I think Malik Willis relates more to Josh Allen than Trey Lance. And I'm not obviously not in size because Trey Lance is bigger quarterback. He's about 6'4", probably 215, 220. Josh Allen's 6'4", about 230, 240. So the size thing, that relates very well to those two. But if we're talking about arm strength, I think Malik Willis has a stronger arm than, Malik, than Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance, though he's inconsistent passing, he can be a little more consistent passing the ball than Malik Willis is. And he also worked with a whole hell of a lot less than what Trey Lance worked. And we're talking about respected levels. I know people are going to go like, well, Liberty's a D1 pro or FBS program. Uh, North Dakota State's an FCS program. So obviously North, Liberty's going to get the better players. But North Dakota State's working at such a totally different level to everybody else at the FCS level to where Trey Lance's players that he was working with are so much better than everybody else's, especially some of the weapons he was working with. Malik Willis didn't have that. And you saw that in games like against Ole Miss this year where the O-line just got beat up by Sam Williams and a few other players for Ole Miss. They got utterly destroyed. So I think if we're talking about that, like the skill set mixed with the level of competition and the players that you were dealing with at the time, Josh Allen and Malik Willis are very similar in that aspect. And I saw something on Pro Football Focus and big-time throws Pro Football Focus said Josh Allen, Malik Willis have the highest two big-time throws, a percentage of big-time throws when they were in college since 2015 or something like that. Like, they compare a lot. Even though Malik Willis is four inches shorter than Josh Allen and faster than Josh Allen, Malik Willis didn't run the 40 today, which wasn't surprising at all. I wasn't really expecting Malik Willis to run the 40. And weirdly enough, only two quarterbacks ran the 40. Out of all the quarterbacks at the Combine, only two of them ran it, and it was Jack Cohn and Dustin Crum from Kent State. Those are the only two, which surprised the hell out of me. Dustin Crum ran a 4.74, and Jack Cohn ran a 4.87. So I was really surprised by the fact when I saw, oh, there's only two guys running. They ran these two out really fast, and they were number – Jack Cohn was uh, – because they're all numbered. I think Jack Cohn was number two, QB two, and Dustin Crum was three. So I was like, oh – they're going to go in, they're going to do their thing, and they're going to have the other quarterbacks go. they got two and three going right now. We're going to have the rest of the guys go. And nope, they had them stand there because Jack Cohn got done running. And then as he's getting back, like halfway through the line again, Dustin Crum's already finished. So they had to wait a good like two, three minutes for Jack Cohn to catch his breath again because <laughs> he's, he's still tired. 
Oh, but man. But the battle between Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett will battle up until the draft. And there are certain things that you can look to to favor one or the other. If you're looking at strictly potential, Malik Willis has easily the higher ceiling at this point in time. Obviously, that's subject to change because different circumstances can spring up different outcomes and how they develop. But Kenny Pickett's easily ready to play right now. If you're in need of a quarterback to play right now, Kenny Pickett's your guy. And one thing I saw today, which I don't know when this take was made originally, but I saw it pop up on my YouTube page today. And I believe it came out right after Daniel Jeremiah released Mock Draft 2.0. Sometime around that. Because it was on Colin Coward's show. And Colin Coward is very famous for making sometimes outlandish takes. Like very outlandish takes that a lot of people kind of scratch their head up. But it gets people talking, which does the job. Because nowadays in sports media, and just media in general... You do things or post things that'll get people talking, that'll get people clicks, regardless if it's actually accurate or not. But Colin Coward had a very interesting take on Kenny Pickett, and the entire surrounding thing of the take was that Daniel Jeremiah, like 25 of the 32 players drafted in his mock draft, were underclassmen. So it was basically along the lines of, you can play, go to the NFL, because you need three years post-high school to play in, play in the NFL. You can redshirt play two years, you can play all three years, whatever. You need to be out of high school for three years. But basically, he was on the line of that. So then he went into, why did it take Kenny Pickett so long to pop? And that's his concern with Kenny Pickett. You know how many other quarterbacks it's taken a while to pop? Like, the main one that pop should pop up in your head instantly. When I say quarterbacks that were late bloomers, the very first one, and if it's not this quarterback, I will be absolutely shocked. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, realistically, had one good year of college. He had an all-right first year at LSU, but nothing that said, oh yeah, that's the number one overall pick in the draft. No one said that. Kenny Pickett had four decent years at Pittsburgh and then went supernova his last year, breaking every single passing record on the way to coming third in the Heisman Trophy and winning the ACC and doing the fake slide and all of that. Like, if you're talented, go play. That's my knock on him. Why did it take him so long to pop? Well, again, different circumstances can spring up different people. And that's exactly what happened to Kenny Pickett. I don't really have a concern if it was one-year wonder for Kenny Pickett. Because if he goes to the NFL to a team that sucks and doesn't have a proper development plan in front of him, then guess what? He's probably not going to turn out very well unless he's got a confidence level on par with Joe Burrows, which is what something, which is something people really like about Pickett, is that his confidence level is Joe Burrow-esque. That's what a lot of people out there are saying. That's one of the big draws to Kenny Pickett is Joe Burrow-esque confidence. With Joe Burrow going to take in the Cincinnati Bengals to a Super Bowl in his second year, a year removed after tearing his ACL and a year removed after they had the number one overall pick, yeah, people are going to start wanting quarterbacks like that. Like just Joe Burrow, realistically, if you were comparing Joe Burrow and Malik Willis, who's more athletic? Malik Willis, who has a stronger arm? Malik Willis. But I don't know a lot of people out there in the NFL right now or people out there in general will take Malik Willis over Joe Burrow. So that's the kind of situation we're in here. I don't care if Kenny Pickett popped, quote-unquote popped, after one year. It took him four years to get this good. What happened? People developed differently. That's how everything works. And he went supernova. And you bring up the bad conference thing. Who cares? He played in a Power 5 conference. And lit it up. And I, I get the game against uh, Western Michigan. 
I mean, he still put up 41 points. The defense couldn't stop Western Michigan for love or money, allowed 44. It was like 44 to 41 or something like that, the final. Weird-ass game. Weird-ass game. But yeah, it doesn't. I'm not concerned about anything Kenny Pickett does. I'm not concerned about his hand size. I'm not concerned about how little he did in college until his last year. I'm not concerned about any of that. Because what I saw last year was freaking awesome. <laughs> and he compared in the likes of Bryce Young. He compared in the likes of, uh, oh, crap. There were some other, like Kyler Murray didn't bloom early. Kyler Murray was rotating with Kyle Allen at Texas A&M, transferred to Oklahoma, sat by in Baker Mayfield, and then went off. Why did it take him three years to go off like that? So I don't know. I, I don't know. But the Bryce Young thing was brought up this year. I mean, Bryce Young's just on a different level. Bryce Young will be the number one overall pick in the draft next year. And if it's not him, it'll be Will Anderson, his Alabama teammate. So it's just between those two. And we've talked about that before, I think, Bryce Young. And we've said this for years now, past two years. Bryce Young is the most talented quarterback Nick Saban's ever worked with. And then with that, became the first ever Heisman Trophy winner to be a first ever quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy for Alabama as a quarterback. First ever one. Third ever behind Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram. So yeah, I stand by my thing that Bryce Young's talent was the most talented quarterback ever. We're not comparing him to a situation at Alabama where you have Jamison Williams and John Mechie and Brian Robinson and Evan Neal, who took a picture today. He weighed in at 337 pounds, and he looked like me. (laughs) I saw this, too. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Mitch Schwartz. I could be wrong about that. But he was like, 337 pounds now looks a whole hell of a lot different than 337 pounds 20 years ago. 337 pounds was a freaking monster. Malik, I mean, uh, Evan Neal, yes, is a freaking monster. He's about 6'7", six, 6'8", six somewhere around there, 337 pounds. But that dude is fit <laughs> for being that big. He is fit. And speaking of fit players, we watched, obviously, the combine was taking place today. We talked about that a little bit with the quarterbacks. But the wide receivers and tight ends ran as well. And I would like to give myself a little pat on the back. I mean, I don't think it was really that difficult to predict. But on Wednesday, we said Calvin Austin from Memphis would run the fastest 40 time. And he even run. A second 40. He ran his first 40 at 4-3-2. And that was the fastest time until Valius Jones from Tennessee came up and also ran a 4-3-2. Danny Gray from SNU ran a 4-3-3. But Calvin Austin, I think, was the easiest bet ever for the combine. I get he got joint, but he only ran it once. So I don't... I'm giving myself that one. <laughs> I don't care if it's joint. I know I didn't say Valius Jones would be up there as well. I said Calvin Johnson, Calvin Austin would win it. The dude's a sprinter from Memphis. It was kind of ridiculous to think he wouldn't because the whole thing the 40-yard dash is predicated on, we talked about this on Wednesday, is your form. If you're a sprinter, that's your job. Form is number one in <laughs> your things you have to do. And he ran a 4-3-2-40. I think I, I think I said he might run a 4-2-something, a high 4-2, like a 4-2-9. But hey, 4-3-2, that's good there. Other receivers, a Sky Moore, from Western Western Michigan, ran a 4-3-9. He's going to stay in the second round. He might even get some conversation with late first-round draft pick. Like, Sky Moore, very good route runner. We've talked about him on Wednesday a little bit. And a receiver that I think he could be competing with for that potential last spot in the first round or early second-round spot is David Bell. And I'm not going to put a whole lot of weight behind this because, again, there's different circumstances behind a 40-yard dash and all that. And, again, it's whatever. It's not really that important. Cooper Cup ran a 4-6-2-40. And that's what David Bell ran. David Bell had all the wide receivers had the slowest 40 along with Slade Bolden from Alabama. 
Do I really care that he ran a 46240? Does, does that mean I'm taking him off my draft board? No, it doesn't. It does not mean I'm taking off my draft board because I watched him dominate Iowa consecutive years <laughs> and just have really good success. Was a finalist for the Blitnikoff Award, which is the nation's best wide receiver. I don't care that he ran 46240. He plays faster than that. But Sky Moore. Definitely helped himself with that four three nine forty ridiculous. Jahan Dotson ran a four four one, and I don't I don't have any documentation of this, so you can believe me or not. I don't really care. But I when Jahan Dotson ran his forty time, the first one he started, and I was like, oh four four one easy, got a four four one, and I know none of you are gonna believe me on that, and I don't expect you to believe me on that, but that's what I said, <laughs> and I'm standing by it. Uh, Traylon Burks ran a four five, which for how big he is was very impressive. I still have Traylon Brooks as my number one wide receiver in the draft, so I didn't really change anything off that. But a 4-5, he ran a 4-5-5 his first one and ran a 4-5 flat his second one. Improved by .05 seconds is very impressive for especially how big of a guy he is. Uh, in regards to the tight ends, Okongwo from uh, Maryland ran a 4-5-2. He freaking flew. And Jelani Woods from Virginia, big old dude. Big dude, Jelani Woods. <laughs> Six foot seven, 259 pounds. Ran a four six one forty, the second fastest time. Six seven. Six foot seven, almost two hundred and sixty pounds. And this dude ran a four six one. Like a Congo a Kogwu ran running a four five two is really damn impressive. But he's got like twenty less pounds on him mixed with five less inches in height. Like that was very, very impressive. Uh Greg Dulcich from UCLA ran a 4.7. He ran a 4.61 his first one, and then ran a 4.6 or 4.78 his second one. So it was a very weird <laughs> uh, testing period for Greg Dulcich, the tight end from, Michigan, from UCLA. Cole Turner, a tight end I really like. He ran a 4.76. Jake Ferguson ran a 4.81. There wasn't a lot of people that ran like the the main tight ends that I, I consider the top three guys: Trey McBride, Isaiah Likely, who I was very surprised to run a 40, and Jalen Weidermeyer. None of them ran a 40. Like, Isaiah Likely, I think, would have had the fastest 40 time if he ran. That really surprised me. And when I was listening to the broadcast, it surprised Darryl Jeremiah as well. Like, I have Isaiah Likely as number two. I think Trey McBride's pretty much the unanimous, at least for me, the number one tight end in the draft. But I think Isaiah Likely, if he keeps testing well, or if he has a good pro day, if he blows up his pro day, because I'm assuming he's going to run then, because that's what a lot of people do, don't run at the combine and then go to the 40-yard dash in the pro day, gives them more time to practice their form and stuff like that. Because, again, it's all on form. gives you more time to work on it. And, yeah, I think he'll I think he'll dominate that. And Jalen Weidermeyer had a lot of drops last year, so I think that's one thing that's concerning a few people. Uh, what else was really notable in this? Just Jelani Woods, I think, helped himself out a lot in that. As big as that dude is, 6'7", 259. Or 256, whatever weight I said. That is insane. That's absolutely insane. If we're talking about vertical, unsurprisingly, at least to me, Isaiah likely had the highest vertical. He ran had a 36-inch vertical. Not surprising. He's the best athlete out of all the tight ends in this draft. A Kogwu had a four a 35.5-inch vertical, so just point just a half an inch below Isaiah Likely. So he could have finished the combine with the highest 40 time or best 40 time and best vertical time. Or vertical time. Best vertical. Uh, Chase Allen from Iowa State. The two Iowa State guys, Chase Allen and Charlie Kohler, did not run in the 40-yard dash. Chase Allen had a 33.5-inch vertical. And Charlie Kohler, see, did, did he even do the 40-yard? He didn't do it. He didn't do a, a vertical jump. And then we had Cole Turner having a 20-inch, which was the 27-inch, which was the lowest out of all of them. Trey McBride had a 33-inch 40. Greg Dulcich had a 34. And, yeah, but Isaiah likely having the highest 
uh, verticals. Not surprising at all. In regards to the wide receivers, Alec Pierce, wide receiver from Cincinnati, 40.5-inch vertical. And Isaiah Weston, we said he was going to have a good combine because this dude's a baller. He just can't stay healthy. This dude not only posted a 40-inch vertical, he also had the most reps on bench. He had 20 reps on the bench press. And he didn't run the 40, which I'm not too surprised about because Isaiah Weston, for how dominant he was at, I, at UNI at times when he was healthy, he's not a burner. Like, you and I had Deion McShane and, oh, crap, Quan Hampton. I, I don't know why I forgot about him that much. But they those were the speed guys. Isaiah Weston was a vertical threat, but he wasn't going to blow the doors off you. Like, those two, Quan Hampton and, jeez, uh, I forgot. <laughs> what? Why am I forgetting now? Deion McShane would run those underneath routes and cook people on the underneath routes. And they would suck everybody in because if they caught it while going in motion, oh, it was over. But Isaiah Weston would just beat everybody, out-jump everybody, out-muscle everybody. 40-inch vertical and 20 reps on the bench. That's damn impressive. If he can stay healthy, he should get drafted. That's the only caveat for him. But Calvin Austin, again, dude's an athlete. Ran the fastest 40, 4-3-2, and had a 39-inch vertical. And he's not a very big guy. Calvin Austin is not very big. He's 5'8", 170 pounds. And he had a 39-inch vertical. That is damn impressive. That is very impressive. But Christian Watson, one of my favorite receivers in the draft, had a nice, clean 38.5-inch vertical. We talked about him using his brain at the Senior Bowl, not going, not staying down on the ground when he didn't get touched going down there. Uh, Jahan Dotson had 36-inch vertical along with jo- Garrett Wilson and Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Wondell Robinson had a 34.5-inch vertical. Sky Moore had a 34.5-inch vertical as well. Uh, where's some other? George Pickens, 33-inch vertical. Valius w- Jones, 33-inch vertical. David Bell and Traylon Burks also put up 33-inch verticals there. Tra- Chris Olave, 32-inch vertical. And yeah, but Isaiah Weston, baller. Baller, baller, baller. I'm loving seeing him go out like that. Uh, Desmond Ritter, for the quarterbacks, he posts the highest vertical. He had a 36-inch vertical. EJ Perry from Brown, who was the quarterback for me right after Bailey Zappi. In the quarterback range, 34.5-inch vert. Kenny Pickett at a 33.5-inch vert. Uh, Bailey Zappi at a 30. And Brock Purdy, repping Iowa, Iowa State that is, 27-inch vertical. Then do we have anything else? We have broad jump, Desmond Ritter, great athlete, great height, great size. Had the longest broad jump, 10-7 was his broad jump. Not too surprising that Kenny Pickett at 10-1. Pretty impressive for Kenny Pickett. Christian Watson, 11-4. And then right behind him, because we're not surprised by this, Calvin Austin, 11-3. And then Isaiah Weston again. Top two in every category so far, apart from 40 because he didn't run it. Bench, number one. Vertical, number two. Broad jump, 11-3. Joint with Calvin Austin. Joint with Calvin Austin. That dude, again, I wish he could stay healthy because if he can stay healthy, he's that guy. Isaiah Weston is that dude if he can stay healthy. That's the only issue. Sky Moore posted a 10-5 broad jump. We had George Pickin posted a 10-5 as well. Uh, Chris Olave, 10-4. Garrett Wilson, 10-3. Jalen Tolbert, also 10-3. <laughs> Garrett Wilson and Jalen Tolbert are just trying to stay around each other the entire time. Uh, Traylon Burks, not dominating the combine like I thought he would. He posted a 10-2 broad jump, which isn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I ex- was expecting the workout machine. He didn't even do bench. That was something that he dominated while at Arkansas. And for tight ends, uh, Daniel Bellinger from San Diego State. He's been one of the better performers at the Combine as well. 10-5 broad jump. Greg Dulcich, 10-2 broad jump. Cole Turner got a 10 broad jump. Then we have Jake Ferguson at 9-10. Chase Allen, 9-9. Trey McBride, 9-9 as well. 
and no Charlie Kohler in that. I haven't really seen Charlie Kohler do anything. Nah, it just could be me not... I, I had to leave early. <laughs> I had to leave. I mean, so for some reason, NFL Network is not working at our home right now, the channel-wise, but I can log into everything on my laptop or my work computer and watch the combine. So I was doing that, but I had to leave. So I haven't really seen anything post-broad jump. So I don't know if anything's happening right now. If we're doing the three-cone, the shuttle, the the 20-yard shuttle, the 60-yard shuttle. Oh, man, three-cone, that was stressful. Three-cone was a stressful drill. 40 time, again, like we talked about on Wednesday, is that drill that you just wanted to be faster than everybody. That was the main goal of the 40-yard dash. You just wanted to be faster than every single person out there. It just stems from us being on the playground as kids. And the one thing you could do to hold power over everybody else was that, hey, you're faster than everybody. And I, I forgot to bring this up earlier with Kenny Pickett's hand size. So Kenny Pickett had an 8.5-inch hands. He had like 24 fumbles in his career at Pitt. Desmond Ritter had 10-inch hands. He fumbled 36 times in college. So 12 more times than Kenny Pickett with an inch and a half bigger hands. It's a big difference right there. And he still fumbled more. It was a, kind of the same thing that kind of brought up with Kyler Murray and his height. Like, oh, he's going to get balls batted down at the line of scrimmage a whole lot more. When in reality, tall quarterbacks have gotten their gotten balls knocked down at the line of scrimmage at an equally higher or higher rate than Kyler Murray did. Because Oklahoma was really smart. And when you uh this is what like I said we you and I should do this. Will McElvain was the quarterback there. Because you and I, for some weird reason, is obsessed with linemen that are between the heights of six foot six and six nine. I don't know what the reason is behind it. I mean, it's worked out well for him. Trevor Penning's gonna be a first round draft pick. Spencer Brown starts for the Buffalo Bills and was a third round draft pick. So like it's worked out pretty well at this point. But what Oklahoma was doing with Kyler Murray at the time was Kyler would drop back and the O line would like part like a Red Sea pretty much to allow him different holes, and it worked. And Kyler Murray ended up winning a Heisman Trophy out of it and has had a decently successful career in the NFL. Now, is he, as of right now, worth the money that he's asking for? Eh, not really. <laughs> like, Lamar Jackson, they were reporting in this at the Combine, that uh, he has not really said anything about the contract, and the Ravens are basically going, well, it's on Lamar's time, and they're saying that Lamar could opt not sign a contract this year, get franchise tag back-to-back years, and then get massive amounts of money in three years' time. So we'll see how all that works out. But something I want to talk about right now is, uh, so we've got Mock Draft 2.0 coming out on Monday. And I've been kind of stuttering around the idea for this for a while now because I don't really know what to do because Mock Drafts, to me, are very, very stressful. And I don't like it. And I don't know why I do it or put so much time and effort into it because it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things because I'm a loser and I put way too much effort into something that, well, last time, I mean, hey, Granted, 70 people read it last time, so I will give you like a round of applause for that because I greatly appreciated everybody looking at it because I didn't really like it because I overthink things. That comes from my mom's side of the family. Overthink things like freaking crazy. So with this, what we're going to do right now, I'm not going to do a mock draft or anything. I'm going to go through all 32 picks and talk about two players that I'm stuck with. Some of them I'm not stuck with at all, but just two players that I'm thinking about for each pick. So start off at number one, obviously, and work our way down to 32. Number one, Jacksonville. It's between Akamu and Evan Neal. It's the best two tackles in the draft. Depends on what you're looking for. If you're talking about uh, ceilings, some might argue that Evan Neal has a higher ceiling than Akamu, and he's what you're looking for when you picture. Like, close your eyes real quick. Unless you're driving, <laughs> don't close your eyes. But close your eyes and picture what you th- what you want as a franchise left tackle. You want him six foot seven. 
330 pounds, very athletic. That's exactly what Evan Neal is. Akonwu is a guard-tackle hybrid. He's about 6'4", about 330, 340 pounds. So he's more stocky than your average tackle. But this is kind of, I guess it's not really because Panay Sewell wasn't really the the biggest figure, but Rashawn Slater was seen as kind of like that. And whatever team he got drafted to was like, well, he could play either guard or tackle and be fine with it. And that was the whole conversation between Sewell and Slater last year. Sewell's got the higher upside, but Slater is better right now. And I think most people would say that Akon was probably better right now. And Akon was building some steam for the number one overall spot. But if we're talking about what I think the Jaguars do, I'm leaning towards Evan Neal more than Akonwu, but I like Akonwu more than Evan Neal right now. Number two, the Lions, it's between Hutchinson and Thibodeau. They're taking an edge rusher. I saw something a few weeks ago where it was like Thibodeau's already signed helmets for the Lions, so that's kind of throwing me off a little bit. Hutchinson's the number one player in the draft. So if you're the Lions and you're wanting the best player, because Evan Neal and Akonwu, sorry, they're not the best players in the draft. The best players are the defensive guys. This is a very defensive-heavy draft, mainly, namely the edge rushers and Kyle Hamilton in the corners, Stingley and Gardner from Cincinnati and LSU. Then we got like the other edge rushers like uh, Karlaftis, Ajabo, Jermaine Johnson, Trayvon Walker, uh, anybody else that I'm missing in the edge rusher department. Boye Mott, he's not up there in the top, top guys, but the main guys you're looking for in, your top, in regards to the best players in the draft are the edge rushers. And I think Hutchinson fits what Dan Campbell wants to do more than Thibodeau. I think Hutchinson is more of that, I'm never going to stop running. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop. Relentless is the word I'd use to describe to, uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Thibodeau's way more, or not way more, but he's more athletic than him. But I think we're talking about what fits the lines and what fits Dan Campbell more. I think it's Hutchinson. Texans, I'm stuck between three, to be honest. One of the tackles, and then Thibodeau and Hamilton. Because the Texans are talking about this. There was a report that said that Laramie Tunsil's as good as gone, pretty much. Laramie Tunsil's getting traded, is what it sounds like. They're restarting. So if they have a hole at tackle, and there are some people that Texans fans are saying, Titus Howard, the former 22nd overall pick from a few years ago, the 2019 NFL draft, is going to be their guy to place Tunsil. Maybe he is, but the Texans really need some help on defense. Jordan Reed might be leaving this offseason, or Justin Reed might be leaving this offseason at safety. Kyle Hamilton to me, is the number two player in this draft class. So if you're going off board, now this is just the Texas could be something completely different than I do, but if you're going off strictly board, Kyle Hamilton should be the pick here, but you don't typically see safeties drafted this high. The last safety that was drafted this high was Sean Taylor, who was drafted fifth overall by the Redskins. The then Redskins, it's fine, I can say, because that was their name then, back in 2004. So things don't really shape up like that. Like Jamal Adams was drafted sixth. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick was drafted 11. Derwin James, who Kyle Hamilton's been, been compared to, got drafted 17th. So safeties don't generally get drafted this high. But I think Kyle Hamilton, because of the fact he can play as the number one free safety, number one center fielder, he can rush the passer, he can play nickel corner, he can play corner, he can make plays in the run as a linebacker, he can do everything on defense, make plays on special teams. That's what make, makes Kyle Hamilton different than your average safety. Like the past few years, we haven't had a safety draft in the first round. Like last year, I think Javon Holland was the first safety taken. He was taken the second round from Oregon, taken by the Dolphins. And then we had Vernon McKinley, or Vernon McKinley, Xavier McKinney from Alabama, taken by the New York Giants in the second round of the 2020 draft. We also had Trayvon Morig, who was seen as by most people as a first round draft pick. He was like the third safety taken in the draft because I think it was Holland 
I, I don't I, I'm not confident saying I think they listed Tyson Campbell as a safety even though he's a corner he they listed him as a safety when he was drafted if I'm not mistaken I could be wrong but I think McKinney and Holland were drafted the same pick just different years apart and then Thibodeau the the Texans were near the bottom of the league in edge rusher in regards to sacks Greenland led the team in sacks last year and with Levy Smith coming in their team is going to need some edge rushers but Thibodeau is dividing everybody right now. I have no idea where to put Thibodeau. Once I can find where Thibodeau goes, then everything else sorts itself out. Jets, uh, one of the tackles, or Thibodeau or Hamilton. Uh, there's been some recent notes coming around from Robert Sala that says that uh, they're pro. Well, I'm not gonna no, I'm not gonna talk about the Jets. I think I'm gonna wait till Monday to talk about the Jets. That's what I'm gonna do. Uh, Giants, it's either uh, the tackles or Thibodeau. <laughs> it's, I I keep saying the tackles because it sounds like it's about 51, 49 percent. Neil right now, so it could be either way between the two, Conwu and Neil. But the Giants, they need help on the edge rusher spot. They should probably go after a tackle and edge rusher spot. So I guess uh, uh, Charles Cross can be mentioned up here as well, but it's between the three tackles and uh, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau for this spot because their O-line reeks. And the Andrew Thomas experiment hasn't really worked out. He has been very li- a very big liability, especially looking at the fact that he is easily the fourth worst tackle, fourth best tackle of the 2020 draft class. <laughs> if you're looking at worse, Becton and Jedrick Wills, he's easily the worst one of those big four. <laughs> the Panthers, it's either Kenny Pickett or the ta- or a tackle. They need help at both. The thing with Pickett that I just can't get out of my freaking head is that Matt Rule recruited him in high school. Not only did that happen. So they already have that relationship here. One thing Matt Rule really likes in players, you see this with like Hassan Reddick and Robbie Anderson just and P.J. Walker, all players that have played for Matt Rule in the past. Kenny Pickett also, as you know, went to Pittsburgh. So he didn't follow Matt Rule to Baylor. He was going to go to Temple. Matt Rule went to Baylor. He went up to Pitt. David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, is a Pittsburgh guy. He graduated from Pittsburgh. So I don't know if this is... Something that I'm reading way too much into, but he's from Pittsburgh. He went to Pittsburgh. Like, Am I reading way too much into this? Because every time I feel there's a connection, and especially when it comes to quarterbacks, that usually goes here. Like Daniel Jones going to the Giants at six. Did anybody in their right mind actually think Daniel Jones deserved to be sixth overall pick? No. But the connections were there. And if you the, the old as the old adage goes, if you see a guy, draft him. Do not wait for someone else to take him. Draft him there, rightly or wrongly. And right now, most people can say that the Giants were wrong in taking that, but what other quarterback in that draft class are you taking at six or later? Because Dwayne Haskins hasn't panned out. And Daniel Jones, I think, can develop into a good quarterback because he's got all the tools to become a good quarterback. We'll see how Brian Dable and co. do with that. But everything just... I want the logical thing here, says Charles Cross. Because I don't think Akonwu or Neil are making it to six. So we're just ruling those two out. So it's between Charles Cross and Pickett. And I've seen some mock drafts like Kyle Hamilton going there. I've seen Ahmad Gardner go here. I've seen Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah, go here. I've seen – what other players have I really seen here? I saw. I thought I saw one. Tyler Lindebaum go here, which I really don't think that will happen, but it could. Trevor Penning I've seen go here as well from Daniel Jeremiah's last draft. And they need an offensive lineman. They need it bad. Their old line reeks. They traded Greg Little to the Dolphins before last season started and haven't really had a, a solution at tackle. So those are the two spots. And I want the logical thing, says Charles Cross. But back in that 2020 draft, the logical thing said Josh Allen. 
We're talking about the Jaguars, Josh Allen. Logic said, Jaguars, draft Josh Allen. Or uh, Giants, draft Josh Allen. They didn't. They drafted the quarterback. There is so many connections here with Kenny Pickett that makes me makes my head spin. Like I don't know what to do. I don't I don't know what to think with the Carolina Panthers pick. I'm stuck between two things, two things only, but they're massive things. And the Giants at seven. Uh, if Charles Cross is available, him. Depending on what they do at number five, if they draft a tackle at five, then obviously not Cross because they're not going to take two tackles back to back. I mean, they could. Their line's that bad. But uh, I think the more logical things, either an edge rusher or a linebacker. I think Devin Lloyd makes a lot of sense, especially after watching what Micah Parsons has done. I think Devin Lloyd could develop into something like that. So I think that's a very intriguing thing to watch, especially if the Giants go with the tackle with their fifth overall pick. But then uh, edge rushers also, like David Ajabo or Trayvon Walker from Georgia, I think are two very likely players to go at number seven, if not Devin Lloyd. So it's basically just dependent on what they do at five. If they go tackle, it'll be an edge rusher or linebacker. If they go edge rusher, because they're not going to draft... If they're at five... They're and they have and both like and Thibodeau's there. They're taking Thibodeau. There's no really second guessing that. If Thibodeau is there at five, they're taking Kayvon Thibodeau. If he's not, they're gonna take a tackle and then move for the edge rusher at seven. That's what logic says, anyways. Number seven, the Falcons. Anything? I, I don't really know what to say about the Falcons. They went seven and ten last year. The AFC, NFC South is pretty much a mess. The Saints are financially crippled. The Bucks just lost Tom Brady, and they lost Ali Marpet, their starting guard. So that's not too great piece. Their secondary is aging. They might lose Chris Godwin this offseason. And the Panthers are the Panthers. So the Falcons, realistically, could be challenging for a division title next year. So you can go with wide receiver, defensive back, or edge rusher. Logic says edge rusher because they had 18 sacks last year, and they just cut their leading sack getter, Dante Fowler, and free. They just cut him a few weeks ago. So, And he only had four and a half sacks. Logic says they need to get an edge rusher in there because they, they couldn't get after the quarterback last year. I would imagine they'd want to improve that. But with the Falcons, like wide receiver is going to be big. Calvin Ridley's not, doesn't look like Calvin Ridley's coming back. You get another corner partner, AJ Terrell. So what I think the Falcons will probably do is just look at the board and take the best player available. That's why I, that's what Logic says. So I'm, I'm going to rule out quarterback for right now because I think the Falcons think they're close. They went seven and ten last year. One of the weirdest seven and ten things teams I've seen in a while because it didn't feel like they went seven and ten, but they did. So I'm going to rule out the quarterback right now. I'm going to rule that out right now. Broncos. I think it's either if we're going to rule out quarterback, I think it's going to be an edge rusher or a linebacker because they traded Von Miller. Bradley Chubb can't stay healthy, so they're going to need some help getting after the quarterback and linebacker. Their linebacking core is weak. Really, nothing there right now. So if Devin Lloyd's available, I would take him in a heartbeat for the Denver Broncos. If they're going quarterback, it's just the best one available, regardless if it's Pickett, Willis, Corral, whatever. They George Payton, the GM of the Broncos, and five scouts, which is a pretty high number of scouts, went down to the Ole Miss Liberty game this past November. Five. So you would think they know the two quarterbacks down there pretty well. And I know Corral came out on top, but I feel like Willis would be the guy if they draft it. Pickett is pissing me off because I really don't know what he's doing. But yeah, if they're not taking a quarterback, then it's edge rusher or linebacker. They didn't take a quarterback last year. If they didn't take a quarterback last year, I find it hard to believe they'll draft a quarterback this year. I really find it hard to believe. If they do that, fair enough, but I don't think they will. Uh, number 10, the Jet, the New York Jets, I think it's a corner. If not a corner, depending on what they do there, I think wide receiver is an option here. I think they, It sounds like they like Drake London a lot from USC. Dark horse candidate, though, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. So let's say hypothetically – they draft Kayvon Thibodeau or Kyle Hamilton with the, f- the fourth overall pick. 
and all the tackles are gone. Cross, Conwu, and Neal are all gone by this point. So that leaves an opening at 10. Joe D- Douglas talked a lot with Trevor Penning at the Senior Bowl. He worked under Robert Sala and coach, his coaching staff at the Senior Bowl as well. He embraced the all-gas-no-breaks mantra that the Jets have been yamming down people's throats for a while now. And he played both left tackle and switched to right guard at times and showed very good things at both spots. The Jets' weak points on their offensive line are at tackle and right guard. So I guess I don't know where Elijah Vera Tucker is. Whatever one's opposite of him. Either way, he's played right tackle and left tackle at Northern Iowa, and he played right guard at the Senior Bowl. So Trevor Penning feels like that type of guy that could surprise some people and get drafted earlier than expected. I think the Jets might be one of those teams that does that. But if we're being like no dark horse, I think Ahmad Gardner makes the most sense for the Jets. Just given Robert Sala's history with big corner, like you look at what he did with uh, Richard Sherman reviving his career in San Francisco, Ahmad Gardner fits that. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. I think with the Jets' secondary being as bad as it is, they have to get someone in the secondary. And if they don't go after Kyle Hamilton with the first pick, it's got to be Ahmad Gardner with the second one. Uh, Washington, I think it's either a quarterback or a guard. So, like, you got Kenyon Green because of the fact that Brandon Scherf is a free agent. And I don't really – it sounds like he's not coming back. So they're going to have an opening at guard. So Kenyon Green makes the most sense. He's going to be the highest-rated guard at this point. But maybe they go after Penning because he played right guard at the combine or at the Senior Bowl. So maybe that's a thing. But most people are saying quarterback. And last mock draft, I had Malik Willis go in there. So I wouldn't be really surprised if Malik Willis went there again or Kenny Pickett went there. But the guard need is big. And it sounds like the, pan, like the, the commanders have called the Chiefs about Patrick Mahomes. So they're desperate for a quarterback. They're going to figure something out in the quarterback position, regardless if that's draft or free agent or whatever. I could see them getting into, like, Trubisky or something this offseason. But, yeah, that's what it looks like right now. But, hey, it could be any like, – those are the two spots. I, Bucky Brooks had a corner going there. I think he had Derek Stingley going there. But I think they're really going to focus on either the line or the quarterback with this spot. The Vikings, edge rusher or corner. Corner is the obvious one. I mean, they've got two corners – I think two corners on the active roster. And – the, yeah, they just need help at corner. I'm not really going to speak more about that. If they don't get a corner, need help, edge, get some younger edge rushers in there. Daniel Hunter's situation has been weird for the past two years, and Everson Griffin is a free agent, I believe, or he's just getting older. Either way, they could use some youth in the edge rushing spot, but corner is the main, main target for the Vikings. Browns, edge rusher or wideout, they have no wideouts. <laughs> they have no wide receivers. That's just a fact. So they need to get some younger wide receivers in there. I think Burks would fit perfectly with what they're going to do there. Bigger guy, run blocks. So you look at Arkansas's play, uh, game plan last year, run first mentality. So Burks was very versed or very integral to their run blocking at Arkansas. And he can do everything. He's like, the some people are calling him the Debo Samuel of this draft class. And you're not going to go out there and just search for a Debo Samuel. The 49ers stumbled upon Debo Samuel in the second round. They didn't go out and say, okay, we're going to use this guy as a running back two years down the line. No, it just happened to work out that way. But I think Burks would be perfect for the Browns, if not, Jadavian Clowney, Tack McKinley, don't look like they're both free agents. I don't know if either one of them are coming back. Edge rusher could also be on the play cards here, depending on who's available. Ravens, uh, either a lineman, either an edge rusher, or either a corner. Because you look at the Ravens, one thing that I can guarantee they're doing, because they have needs weirdly all over the place. Their corners were injured to hell last year. They led the league in yards get allowed through the air last year. Their defensive line's all leaving. They were near the bottom in sack, or just total defense in general. And then their old line gave up a crap ton of sacks. When you have the most electric quarterback in the NFL, and he's one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league, there's something wrong there. Like, you're trading Orlando Brown and not really solving that problem 
did not do wonders here. And Bradley Bozeman's a free agent as well, so center's going to be open as well. But the thing I can guarantee about the Ravens, they're going to trust the board. One thing Baltimore has always done is not overdraft players. They're going to go by what their board says. That is what they've always done, and that's what they will continue to do. Whether it's Ozzie Newsom as the GM or Eric Acosta or whatever, they're going to go by the board. So whoever's the number one player at the board at that time, that's who they're taking. Edge rusher, D-lineman, lineman, corner, whatever. They're taking the best player available. Eagles, they have three picks. They can sort this out between three different spots. They're going to take wide receiver, they're going to take an edge rusher, and they're going to take a mystery pick. Because the edge rushers, all their people are, Derek Barnett's a free agent, Ryan Kerrigan's a free agent, and Brandon Graham's 34, I think going on 35. So they're going to need some youthfulness in there. The Eagles wide receiving core, Jalen Rager was a, a miss. Obviously should have taken Justin Jefferson. We said, and you can't even go like, hindsight says you should take Justin Jefferson. No, at the time, it said take Justin Jefferson. And they still didn't do that. And then they take J.J. Ortega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf. So the wide receiver thing, they got to get that right. They've nailed down at least what it seems like, nailed down Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. So that seems like it's going to be a thing. So get him some reliable weapons on the outside. That's what the goal should be. If not, maybe look at a corner, get a partner for Darius Slay. They haven't drafted a linebacker in the first round since the freaking 70s. So I don't know if that will be in the play here. Who knows? And also a guard, guard or center, because Jason Kelsey's 34, 35 years old, not getting any younger. And one thing the Eagles have done under Howie Roseman is get players in to develop a year below said starter. You saw that with Andre Dillard. You saw that with Derek Barnett. Players that come in, have starters in there, implanted already. Dallas Goddard there as well. Jalen Hurts. Like They've always done this where they have veterans there. They have guys come in. And they replaced him within a year. Dallas Garter replaced Jalen Hurt or Zach Ertz. Then we had Andre Dillard. Well, he kind of replaced Jason Peters. Not really. He got his spot taken too. And then Derek Barnett replaced Chris Long. So I think that's an option here. So center or guard, whether it's Kenyon Green or Trey, Tyler Lindebaum. So like the main players here are like Lindebaum, Kenyon Green, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, um, and all the edge rushers. Because the edge rushers could go anywhere. I don't really have a firm grasp where the edge rushers are going right now, but. They're gonna. They need to take an edge rusher. That should be pick fifteen. Edge rusher, uh, seventeen. Either D lineman or tackle. Uh, the Chargers, their right side of the O line might be one of the worst in the NFL, if not the worst. Uh, Brian Balaga. I we said this at the start of the season. Unsurprisingly, got put on IR. If you can predict if someone's gonna make go on injured reserve before the season even starts, that's a sign you should probably look to replace them at some point. So tackles an option here. Trevor Penning is priority number one. If you're looking at a tackle for D lineman, I think like Devontae Wyatt from Georgia makes a lot of sense, or Jordan Davis, the two Georgia guys for run stopping purposes. The Chargers have always sucked against the run. For like the better part of 15 years, the Chargers have consistently, it feels like, had one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL. So, regardless if that's Davis in the middle or Wyatt as a three tech or whatever, they need to get that sorted out. So, one of those three players, I think, is in line. For that one, wide receivers a shout too, but that's only if they don't resign Mike Williams. That's only if they don't resign him. Uh, Saints is either wide receiver or quarterback, <coughs> depending on who's available. They have no wideouts, and they don't have a quarterback. Cap situation is the worst in the entire NFL. So I don't know if they can even resign Jameis Winston. So if they can't do that, then uh, they're going to have to draft a quarterback. Regardless if that's with this pick or later in the draft, wide receiver and quarterback should be the first two picks the Saints have in the draft. Wide receiver and quarterback. Doesn't matter who they are. They haven't drafted a quarterback in the first round since Archie Manning. 
So it's been a long-ass time, and for out the past at least 10 years, it feels like they've been linked with a quarterback in the draft and haven't taken one. They were linked with Lamar. They were linked with Paxton Lynch. They were linked with Jordan Love. Like, they were linked with so many quarterbacks and just never took them. Like They traded up in the draft to 14 in 2018. I think it was 14. And everybody was like, oh, here's Lamar Jackson. And they took Marcus Davenport. <laughs> so it's, the Saints have a weird way with the draft, but Sean Payton's not there anymore. So we'll see how that goes. But quarterback are wide out for the Saints. Steelers at 20. I, I already went over the three Eagles picks, so I'm going to skip over the Eagles. Steelers, quarterback or tackle. Depends on who's available. If the Steelers are going to trade up, which I know they're not afraid to do, like they trade up to number 10 to get Devin Bush, I'm not really concerned of, or I'm not really saying they're not going to trade up because I think that's a very good possibility. Like Malik Willis and like what they talked about last year, they said pretty much from the combine to the draft, they were going to draft Najee Harris. It's like the most one of the most predictable picks of all time. As long as he was there, they were taking Najee Harris. 99 times out of 99. I don't know why I didn't go to 100, just sounded better, I guess. So if Malik Willis is there, they're taking Malik Willis. If they need to trade up to get Malik Willis, they're going to take Malik Willis. If not, they're going to take a tackle. Because it depends on who's going to be willing to trade, how high you're going to be willing to trade. I think Malik Willis could go to the Panthers at number six. He could go to the Washington Commanders at 11. So if you want to trade up that high, if Pickett goes to the Panthers and they think he's going to go to the Commanders, the Jets might be perfect to trade with, or the Broncos, or someone like that. But yeah, it's either Willis or Penning or one of the guys, one of the tackles. Patriots, wide receiver or corner. I, I, Devin Lloyd would be perfect here, but I don't think Devin Lloyd will be available. But wide receiver or corner. Bill Belichick's drafted one wide receiver in the first round his entire tenure with the New England Patriots, and that was Dekeel Harry. So maybe that scared him away from drafting wide receivers in the first round, but if there's, the, like, Jamison Williams, there's so many good wide receivers. There's six wide receivers that are almost locks to be first-round draft picks. With Bill O'Brien, the potential replacement of Josh McDaniels as the OC, Jamison Williams makes all the sense in the world. I don't care if he's coming off a torn ACL. You get electric players in this team, you can be really fun to watch. But corner, you're in a division with Josh Allen. You got torched for, <laughs> against the Bills, the AFC divisional round, or AFC wildcard round. So corner is obviously an option here, especially with the fact that J.C. Jackson doesn't really look like he's coming back. So those are both on the table for that one. The Raiders, I think it's pretty much the same thing, corner and wide receiver, for pretty much the same reasons. <laughs> they they have no speed on the outside. They or Henry Ruggs got arrested, and then Deshaun Jackson came in at 35, they need some speed. They ain't bringing back Deshaun Jackson. And then corner, they have no corners either. So they're going to need one of those two positions. I don't know which one comes first, but you're going to have to take those two. Cardinals, uh, I think it's between three spots. Edge rusher, lineman, and corner need some help at corner. They have two corners on the active roster right now. And Byron Murphy's a slot corner. So you really have one outside corner on the roster right now. In regards to edge rushers, J.J. Watt can't stay healthy, and I got a notification yesterday that said they might not bring back Chandler Jones. So you need an edge rusher. And then also, you got Kyler Murray, who's doing this weird social media, I don't know what you want to call it, crusade this offseason. So, and I've watched them against the Rams. Both times they played the Rams. The regular season, the second time they played in Los Angeles, and then the or wait, no. It was the one they played in Arizona, the last one they played, where Kyler Murray got sacked on the last play of the game by Aaron Donald. And in the playoff game, that dude got wrecked by the Rams' defensive line. So, guard is a very big play here, depending on who's available, but corner is probably your number one priority if you're the Cardinals. Cowboys, edge rusher or linebacker, they have no linebackers on their current roster, <laughs> and they need some help again after the quarterback, especially with uh, Randy Gregory possibly leaving and Demarcus Lawrence not being able to stay healthy and getting older. But linebacker is probably priority number one. A guard is dark horse here. 
again, depending on who's available. Guard's dark horse because Connor Williams hasn't really played that well recently, and they need to get some youthfulness along that off the line. Was once the most dominant unit in the NFL, now it's just getting old and injured. So they need to reject that, but I think N'Kobe Dean would probably be priority number one because this is around the range he'll go. If not, edge rusher or lineman here. The Bills, uh, D-line and O-line are big priorities for the Buffalo Bills. Their middle of their defense is not ideal. Like, if you look at next, I love Ed Oliver. I think Ed Oliver's a very good player. But next to him, the Bills haven't really been able to sort anything out. One thing Sean McDermott has done in Buffalo along the defensive line is rotate. So when players like Jordan Davis, one of the things that concerns people about Jordan Davis is that he needs to be he needs to be on a snap count. He would be perfect for the Bills' defense. For how big he is, and you watch the game against the Patriots the first time they played, where the Patriots ran for 200-plus yards. There are games where the Bills got gashed in the run over the past few seasons because their deep interior D-line has not been very good. Star Lutalele is an all-right, at best, D-tackle. He just fills holes, but he's not going to do anything other than that. And he's probably going to be a cap casualty because I think he's played eight games the past two years. So I don't know what the situation was with that, but Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt would be perfect for Buffalo Corner, obviously because of the fact that Trey White's coming off an injury and Levi Wallace is a free agent. Uh, Lineman, you need to protect Josh Allen. That should be one of the top priorities this offseason. And then wide receivers, a dark horse one, depending on who's available. The Bills fans have pretty much all said Jameis Williams is the guy <laughs> if he's available. Because the one thing the Bills have done, you look at their recent drafts, Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, and Greg, Greg Rousseau, all freak athletes. Jameis Williams is a freak athlete. So if he's available, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills took him there. And it gives the Bills a scary receiving course. Scary. 26, the Titans. Uh, I don't anymore. I don't think the Kobe Dean will be here, so I'm going to say Lyman and Wideout because yes, AJ Brown and J, J, Julio Jones are very good. Julio Jones has played like eight games the past two years, and he has scored one touchdown I think in that time frame. And AJ Brown, though he's really really good, what battled a lot of injuries last year. He's had some back problems over the past two years in the NFL. So wide receiver gets some youthfulness out wide would help as well, but their interior line needs some work as well. You got to improve something on the O-line. They were battling so many injuries last year. It was ridiculous. Their secondary was injured to hell. It was basically the Baltimore Ravens, but a little more sustained than the Ravens one. But I think it's one of those two linemen. So like Tyler Lindebaum, if he's available or someone like Chris Alave or Jameis Williams, if he's available there, uh, the Buccaneers, I think it's wide receiver corner. So someone like Jameis Williams, Chris Alave or Kyler Gordon from Washington. We talked about him on Wednesday, possibly we won the stars of the combine, getting himself into the first round category. He is a very, very athletic corner. I know Andrew Booth will be mentioned up there as well. Roger McCreary also in there, but none of those two aren't the same athlete as Gordon. That's not saying they're bad athletes or anything, but Kyler Gordon is just an insane athlete. But if they can get a wide out, that would be also really good because of the fact that Chris Godwin might be leaving this offseason as well. And guard, I guess a dark horse candidate because Ali Marpet just retired. Uh, Packers, something on the D-line. Like either a 3-4 D-end or an outside linebacker. Because Zedaria Smith is seen as one of the possible uh, cap casualties this offseason. Preston Smith, one of the other Smith brothers, is getting older. And you got Rashawn Gary on one side who's played really well last season. You could get someone in there like Boye Mafi or someone of that caliber to come in, sit behind Preston Smith, and then have one of the best young pass rushing duos in the league with Gary and uh, Moffey. 
But then on the D-line, Lannister is leaving in free agency. So you got a hole in the 3-4 D-end spot. So someone like Devontae Wyatt could be available. Maybe Logan Hall from Houston would be a dark horse candidate to Marvin Leal. Uh, who else? George Kalaftis. Because I don't know where he's going to go. I've seen multiple things about him going like top 10 and then him falling all the way down to the Packers spot. So I don't know where he's going to go. But some one a position on defense, it feels like, for the Packers. Dolphins. It's just one O line. <laughs> they need they need O line help. They have missed on their pat the twenty eighteen or twenty twenty draft miss <laughs> for off to linemen. Uh, Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt. Other than Robert Hunt doing this the funny flip in the end zone touchdown that didn't count, uh, he hadn't really done anything too spectacular in his time in Miami. It's been pretty. It's Austin Jackson stinks. <laughs> so O line, that's it. Uh, Chiefs three. So wide receiver safety or edge rusher, because Melvin Ingram's probably going to be leaving this offseason, and he's getting older, and you saw how important he was because that allowed Chris Jones to go back inside because for some reason, they were like, you know what, we got this elite ed- this elite interior pass rusher in Chris Jones. Let's make him a D-end instead. So when that inevitably did not work out, they brought in Melvin Ingram, and that freed up Chris Jones even more and made the Chiefs defense way better than what it was at the early stage of the season. Safety, I've said Daniel Sorensen's trash forever. And Tyron Matthews also a free. So Tyron Matthew and Daniel Sorensen are both free agents. They have two safeties on the active roster right now. So someone like Dax Hill could be available here, depending on the edge rushers. So I, if the edge rushers aren't here, it's going to be either safety or wideout. Because outside of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs' wide receiver weapons, or just weapons in general, are not anything that's like insane. Their old line, they improved that vastly. Their old line is very nice right now. But getting another wide receiver, someone like Chris Olave or Jahan Dotson or, God forbid, Jamison Williams would be awesome for the Chiefs. But safety, with no safeties on the roster, I think that could be a very high priority as well. Bengals, I mean, obviously O-line, especially guard, they need some help. On the right side of the O-line, Quentin Spain on the left side even got blown up by Aaron Donald, which is like insane because everybody gets blown up by Aaron Donald. But... They need help on the O-line. But if we're going dark horse corner, I mean, their cornerbacks stink. We've made fun of their corners at least 20 times this season. Like It's something that they need to definitely improve on, but O-line needs number one priority first. Get get a corner in the second round. O-line comes first. Namely guard Zion Johnson or even Daniel Falele from Minnesota. Those are the two guys you should be really looking at with this pick. And then the Lions, wide receiver or quarterback. Just depends on what their view is, viewpoint is, depending on what wide receivers are available. If someone like Jahan Dotson's available, they're taking him. But if he's not, so let's say all six first-round wide receivers are gone by the Lions pick, they'll take like Sam Howell or Matt Corral or someone like that with this pick. So that's what we've got right now if we're looking at just what pieces we could look at for each draft pick. If I didn't mention a player you're really wishing I mentioned, I apologize for that. There's a lot of good players in this draft. A lot of very good defensive players. A lot of good wide receivers, as per usual. Tight end class is really good as well. The the running back class is very underrated this year. Quarterbacks, we know everybody's been bashing the quarterback class since everybody could talk, pretty much. There's some good linebackers here, some good corners. There's some very talented corners. There's about, what, one, two, two, four, seven corners that will get drafted in the first two. There's some very solid corners right there, and some that you could get later in the second round and early third round as well. So, yeah, I'm excited for this draft. I'm very, very excited for this draft. And I hope you enjoyed that little thing that we did. We didn't do a quiz today, so I apologize for that. We'll hopefully get back on that next Friday. But I just want to talk about the Combine and preview Mock Draft 2.0 a little bit this episode. So, sorry for no quiz. And one thing before we go, this could affect the draft quite a bit. 
I got a report right before we started doing this. Uh, Rodgers likely returning to Green Bay. So with people talking about the Denver Broncos trading for Aaron Rodgers, does that open the door for Jordan Love to get traded? I think at this point, Jordan Love, I know Rodgers sat for three years, but Brett Favre was a whole hell of a lot closer to thinking about retirement than Aaron Rodgers seems to be at this point in time. Because Rodgers won back-to-back MVPs. I don't really think, I mean, pipe dream, I want him to retire and host Jeopardy. That's the goal here. But I don't think that will happen. So who knows the future holds for Jordan Love? Who the hell knows? Maybe he gets traded to Denver with Nathaniel Hackett there as the head coach. Maybe that's the quarterback the Broncos were looking for. But, yeah, I, I, I hope Jordan Love can develop into something because I think Jordan Love's really talented. I just want him to succeed because I liked him coming out. I want him to do good. But right now we haven't seen him play, so it's kind of hard to judge that. So with that being said, I do hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not enjoy the show, I can you know I can only apologize. I will we'll get better next time. So make sure you leave a rating out of five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure, again, you are following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts and following the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media. I would greatly appreciate it. It would help me out quite a bit. Uh, Chris Olave just ran a 426 unofficial 40. So nice. That was eight minutes ago, but I feel like the... So what 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 was going on with the 40 times? I thought we already went through all the 40s. I watched the... Oh, there's two groups. There's two groups. I forgot about that. So Chris Olave now passed Calvin Austin, who's now got the third fastest time. Felias Jones. I should have just ended the show right there. Everybody would have been so fun. It would have been so awesome because I would have just left the show. Desmond ran a 4.49. Kenny Pickett ran a 4.67. EJ Perry ran a 4.6. Brock Purdy, 4.76. Skylar Thompson a little bit slower than what I was expecting, 4.86. But Desmond running the fastest 40 out of these quarterbacks, I'm not surprised at all. We compared Desmond to Trey Lance before the season started, and there were games last year. He didn't really do it as much this year for Cincinnati, but there were games last year where he would just break off massive runs. Kenny Pickett, am I surprised? No, I'm not really surprised by Kenny Pickett's 40 time. Part of me thinks it should have been a little faster, but I'm not going to be nitpicky or anything. Did Isaiah likely end up running? Still hasn't run? So, I don't know. But Chris Olave, 4-2-6. Not very surprised at all by that. Dude's an absolute burner. So, yeah, but Calvin Austin, sadly, is not the number one 40 time anymore. We'll see if that changes. It won't. But, damn it. Damn it. <laughs> but with that, I'll end the show there. I hope you enjoyed the show. If not, again, I apologize. Make sure you stay tuned for Mock Draft 2.0 on Monday. This has been Logan Blackman, and I will see you all later. Peace.